All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. Great singing this morning from everyone. That song certainly ties right in with First Thessalonians that we've begun to study. And I'd like to ask you to turn there this morning in your copy of God's Word, First Thessalonians chapter 2. But um, based upon the song that we just sang, I'm going to start reading at the end of chapter 1, and we'll go through chapter 2. All right, First Thessalonians. chapter 1, and I'll start at verse 8, and then we'll read through chapter 2, verse 12. All right, this is the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 8. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his soul I'm sorry, for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Verse 5. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because we had become because you had become dear to us for you remember brethren our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you we preach to you the gospel of god verse 10 you are witnesses and god also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you for among you who believe, <clears throat> as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That concludes the reading uh, from 
First Thessalonians this morning. We do pray that God's blessings be upon the uh, reading of His Word to our hearts, as well as the preaching of it. Let's go to Him in prayer now at this time. <clears throat> Father, You're the one who gives us faith, love, and hope. And Father, you are the one who gives us the sufficient grace that we need to live out these in our lives and to even walk worthy of the kingdom of God who called us, walk worthy of God who called us into his own kingdom and glory. Lord, I pray today that as we look to your word, that it might be used in us, in every one of us, men, women, children, youth, Father, all ages here who are under the preaching of your word, under the reading of your word, Lord, under the authority of your word, I pray that your word would have an effect in our lives today. May we be the people of God that you've called us to be. May we, Lord, live for your glory and not our own. May we, Father, grow and come to know what it means to magnify Jesus Jesus Christ, whether by life or by death. So uh, we commit this time to you, and we thank you, Father, for the church that can gather together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, folks, as we jump into this, I want to talk to you uh, about a message, a message today that's called God is Witness. Now, uh, looking at chapter 2, I hope that you'll, you maybe have noticed here the emphasis on the gospel so far. It actually started in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, therefore, our gospel did not come to you. Then you go to chapter 2, verse 2, and he says there at the end of it, speak to you the gospel of God. In chapter 2, verse 4, two lines in, he says to be entrusted with the gospel. And then you go down to verse 8, about three lines down, he says to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. And then in verse 9, at the end of it, he says, we preach to you the gospel of God. So we're seeing here uh, Paul emphasizing the gospel because the gospel had had an impact in the life of the Thessalonians. It had an impact in the life of many to which Paul had taken it to. And here he is writing, obviously, to this church, the first Thessalonians being one of his earliest letters to be written, if not the earliest letter, the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to one of the churches. Now, let's work through our handout. And the first thing that we're going to see here is that uh, what the gospel did. We see what the gospel did. And we see, first of all, that it made their election known. All right, so the gospel made their election known. Going back to chapter 1, verse 4. And this first part of the message is going to be a recap a little bit from last week as we go into chapter 2. All right, so verse 4, he said, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. So the fact that the gospel went out to them and that they received it, and that's one of the reasons why he knew that. Does anybody remember the other reason why he knew that they were of the elect? Christian graces in their lives. 
I really nailed it last week, apparently, as I went over all this with y'all. So made their election known is the first thing. And then the second one is it enabled spiritual graces because you're not going to have faith, love, and hope without a belief in the gospel. So the gospel goes out uh, through the Apostle Paul, through his fellow workers, the Thessalonians received the gospel, and then that enabled spiritual graces in their life. All right? And then... Um, I'll go ahead and, well, I better stay here. I better finish this one up. Otherwise things might get, get, um, get crazy. So, um, uh, so I want to ask y'all a question. How, how did, how did he know that they had faith, love, and hope? How did the apostle Paul know that they had that? Now, if you're wondering where I'm even coming from on this, you can go back to verse 3 of chapter 1. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. How did they, how did they know that the Thessalonians had those three things? What? Three words. Work. Labor. And patience. Those three things were evidence in the life of the Thessalonians that they had these Christian graces. So that really brings us back to remind ourselves that all of these are actually things that are given to us by God. And because they're given to us by God, they ought to work for the kingdom of God and His purposes. You think about faith. You know the verse, Ephesians 2.8. Um, for you're saved by grace through what? Faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now that might mean the whole salvation thing. But it certainly, whether it's t- talking specifically about faith or faith is just included in it we see that faith is a gift of God. All right? What about love? Romans 5, verse 5. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. How did you come to love God and love people? God poured out His love in you by the Holy Spirit. So that too is something given to us by God, the God who is love. And then what about hope? You think about 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He has begotten us again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Faith, love, hope are all things that we would not have apart from God giving these to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ through which we are saved. Therefore, because of that, it ought to cause us to to do something. So let's ask ourselves the question, what does our faith do? What does our love require of, of us? What does our faith do and what does our love require of us? The way it works out, though, folks, is sometimes our work and labor does not produce what we anticipated. Anybody ever felt that way? I've did all this stuff. I've worked for the Lord as a work of faith. I've labored in love for others. But then it's not what I expected at the end. 
And that's where the patience of hope comes in. Because if everything worked out just the way that we thought it was going to all the time, there would be no need for hope and there would be no need for patience. But because it doesn't, because we live in a world that's a tough place to live sometimes, we have to have that patience of hope. Did you know the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, 24 and 25, hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Furthermore, in 1 Peter chapter 1, y'all turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. I was surprised as I was reading through First Peter this past week. I was surprised at how much it overlaps with with uh, writing there of First Thessalonians and even Second Thessalonians. I was really kind of shocked by it. Um, but here in First Peter one, and you see it in verse thirteen, it says, "Therefore, First Peter one thirteen. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and rest your hope." See that? Your hope. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then, if you'll go over to verses 20 and 21 of 1 Peter 1. He indeed was foreordained that he there is talking about Jesus was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times, who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead, and gave Him glory. That's all about Jesus there. Raised Jesus from the dead and gave Jesus glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So we have this living hope, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. We um, are to allow our hope or cause our hope to be to rest fully upon the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we saw in verse 21 that Jesus was raised from the dead. He died and God gave him glory so that our hope could be in God. You see, we have a hope in someone that is immovable. We have a hope in God, in in someone who is unshakable. It is God who does not change. And because our hope is in Him, then as this life we face and the obstacles of it go along, We do not have to be shaken with it. So we need this in life because life is tough a lot of times. Church life is tough a lot of times. You think about life, you think about money struggles, marriage struggles. Think about is life even worth living sometimes? Think about wayward children and harboring um, members who may harbor sin or we may harbor sin in our own lives the death of children, of parents, and of others that we love. All these things are very real, and all these things have been very real in our congregation. But I want to 
remind you today that we have hope. And because of that hope, we can endure. Because of that hope, we can just be patient and wait on the Lord. Because God does not change. We have hope in a person who will bring us to a place where there is no sickness or sorrow, where there is no corruption or crime, where there is no mischief or murder, where there is no insecurity or injustice, where there is no disease and death. God will do that through Jesus Christ, His Son. And because of who He is, we can rest in Him. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world are just those who thought the most about the next. And so we must think about the next and have our hope in God. Romans 15 verse 13, you might want to write that reference down, but it says now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And so may it be. As you think about this and these three Christian graces, um, how do you see these in other people? When you see them in other people, do you ever say, hey, I'm encouraged by your work of faith, by your labor of love, by your patience of hope? Because I know this isn't easy what you're going through, but but I, I can see that patience in you. And then as someone put the the thought in my head this week, what people in your past have been this for you? What people in your past have had a work of faith, a labor of love, and a patience of hope, which have influenced you to be the people that you are today? Now, that's enough on that. Let's, let's move on. We'll see in the next point is change lives. Y'all see why I needed to get that in right then? Because I'm sure I wouldn't have gotten back to it. So change, change their lives. We saw that in chapter one. Their lives were really changed. At the end of it, I read it a while ago, so I'm not going to read it again. You might even see those Christian graces coming up again there, verses eight, nine, and ten. But these folks were really changed. The Thessalonians were changed by the gospel. This is what the gospel did. It was very real. They were not the same. And, and that's the way it works, folks. Any person God saves, He changes that person. He makes them a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. New things have come. Mount Olympus, I am told, is the highest mountain in Greece, and it is 50 miles to the south of Thessalonica and could be seen even from the city. Now, why is Mount Olympus anything that I would bring up? It's because in Greek mythology, this is where the Greek gods would have lived. It is said about Zeus that he is king of the gods, ruler of Mount Olympus, and god of the sky, weather, thunder, lightning, law, order, and justice. That's from Wikipedia. All right. So uh, it says that about Zeus, god of or ruler of Mount Olympus. And Mount Olympus could be seen from Thessalonica. And you notice there in verse 9, we don't need to miss it, that they had you turned. They had changed because in verse 9, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. We can remember in Acts 14 verse 12, when Paul and Barnabas 
were in Lystra that Paul they called Zeus. And, I'm sorry, Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief uh, speaker. And Hermes was a god who was over communication in their thoughts. These gods were worshipped in Thessalonica, but they U-turned from these idols that represented these false gods, and they are now serving the living and true God. So that means that they would agree with Paul, who would later write in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Therefore, concerning the eating of the things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. And that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things and we for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. That's what the Thessalonians believed. That's, I pray, what we believe as well, because we have now a U-turned life, a life that is in the direction of God. It is a Godward life, though we may sin and struggle and, and fail at times, yet our life, our direction continues to be toward God. Now, let's move on and talk about something else about last week. And the situation that came up in the church here, as we move into that, you know, it was over the topic really of sort of, well, I want to say election, but it goes really beyond that to the authority of Scripture. That's what it goes back to, is the authority of Scripture. And But when it comes to the topic of election, I want you to know that that is not something that I'm seeking to champion or anything such as that. That is not my purpose in even bringing it up. It's because it was here in the text, and we wanted to deal with that a little bit. But after the service last week, I had more than one person say to me, I haven't seen that happen in church before. And I haven't either. Not in this, not in a service. But I have seen it happen after small groups and in the parking lot. So I wasn't completely taken back by that. But it was sort of a difficult thing to live to deal with. I want to bring out two points to you. When it comes to this, then I, I just want you to be aware of. Number one is this. Let's be Berean. Let's be Berean. Because even some of the things that were said in the service last week is like false. I, don't, I couldn't hear everything, but it was like false doctrine or false gospel or something like that. But here's the deal. Every one of us need to be Berean. What does that mean? I, I, for sake of time, I put the scripture up here on the on the screen. Acts 17:11. You can see it there. It's interesting because Paul went to the Bereans right after he was in Thessalonica, all right? So Acts 17, he was in Thessalonica after he was sort of driven out of there or uh, decided to leave there, he went to Berea. And that verse that you see on the screen is what he found there. It says, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. 
Listen, folks, every one of you have the responsibility of searching the Scriptures to make sure that the things that you hear are true. You do not want to rest your faith, your your hope, your love, your life, your eternity based upon what just someone else tells you or preaches to you. You want to open up that book for yourself and make sure that the things that you have heard and that you have been taught are said by God in His Word and that it is the right interpretation of it. So you be Berean. We need a church. If I were going to rename New Life Baptist Church, I think Berea Baptist Church, that'd be a great one. You know, because we want to be a church that is Berean in the way that we approach Scripture. All right? Number two is this. Let's be clear on election. Let's be clear on election. At least as clear as we can be on this. Again, I'm not a champion for this cause. I do not need to be a champion for this cause or for any other cause in the Scripture because nothing can be done against the truth. No one will change the truth because no one can can change Jesus. And the truth is in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. So we rest on that. Now I want to ask you to turn in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians 2. We're going to look at this again real quick. And I just want to show this to you because it's so clear and plain in Scripture. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. All right. And again, I know I'll be coming to this later on in our working through these passages, but um, I want to go ahead and hit on it real quick. Y'all got it? Everybody got it? If you got it, say amen. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, verse 13. He says to them, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because... God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation. Through, alright? So it's going to happen by means of. God chose them for salvation through these two things. Sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Okay, so... Hold on just a second. Sanctification by the Spirit. When you hear that, where your mind probably automatically goes to is, okay, justified, sanctified, glorified. That's probably the wrong place to put it in this verse. The sanctification by the Spirit here isn't talking about a sanctification in the Christian life. It's talking about a setting apart that the Spirit of God does in us to make us saints. So this sanctification that we're reading here really ought to be over here in front of justification. Because what it is doing, it's showing the work of the Spirit in a person to cause them to be born again. Okay? it's the uh, Unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. Uh, you were saved by the, by the mercy of God through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit's work to take a sinner and bring them to being a saint. Okay, and you can, again, study that out and make sure I'm right on that. Another place where you see this is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Alright, so God chose... From the beginning, the Thessalonians, 
those so far who were in the church, He had chosen them for salvation. The way that would happen would be through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to set them apart to be saints and belief in the truth. One of the arguments last week is that faith, um, th- that we're saying that faith doesn't have anything to do with it or something like that, but it, it does because that's part of salvation, belief in the truth. All right, now you keep going in verse 14. To which he called you by our gospel. For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, apparently, folks, and you know, all we can do is take the Bible, read the Bible and understand it. Apparently, God chose. And then God chose for salvation that through that work of the Spirit and believing in the truth, we would be saved. How did all of that work together? How did all that blend together and work its way out? The Gospels preached that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day, and that He's seen alive. This man is alive, and He's coming back one day. He was raised from the dead. And then a person hears that good news of the Gospel, and all of a sudden, they say, I need that. I need that Savior, I need that salvation for I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and I deserve the judgment of God for all of eternity. Lord, please save me. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. How did all that happen? As God is working in a person's life through those means to save them. Does that make any sense? Let me show you these verses. Acts 13, 48. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. See the end of it? And as many as had been appointed to eternal life did what? They believed. And then Ephesians 1, 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. In 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 10, Paul says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Acts 18, 9 through 11. Check this out. Now, the Lord spoke to Paul, and this is when he was in Corinth, in the night by a vision. He said, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And uh, he continued there a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. Now, as you look at that, you might say, okay, what's the big deal? Uh, one interpretation of this passage is when, Paul sa- when Jesus says to Paul there, for I have many people in this city, he's not talking about the many Corinthians that had already been saved and who were going to stand up and protect Paul when the opposition came. But he says, no, Paul, I'm going to be with you. You keep preaching. 
Because I have many people here who are yet to be saved. And they're going to be saved through the preaching of your word. So, you know, election, like some other aspects of God, reminds us that we must be comfortable not understanding everything in the Bible before we believe everything in the Bible. Let me say that again. Election, like some other aspects of Scripture or of God, reminds us that we must be comfortable not understanding everything in the Bible before we believe everything in the Bible. Our belief is not based or confined to our understanding. As you've heard me say before, theology is faith-seeking understanding. We are continuing to study to know God through His, through His Word. Now, i got a little bit more I want to read on this, and then we'll move on. Election, because it's been said, you know, election is a deterrent to evangelism. But it's actually not. It's an encouragement to it. That's why this verse says what it says. Paul, I've got a bunch of people here. Keep preaching because they need to be saved. Paul, if you don't preach it, they won't be saved. They have to be saved through the preaching of the gospel. So preach it. So that, uh, that actually encourages evangelism. The telling others about Jesus is because God has His people that He will save. Wearsby has said, If salvation demands on sinful man, then all our efforts are futile. It, but if salvation is of the Lord, then we can expect Him to bless His Word and to save souls. John Stott writes, Scripture nowhere dispels the mystery of election, and we should beware of any who try to systematize it too precisely or rigidly. It is not likely that we shall discover a simple solution to a problem which has baffled the best brains in Christendom for centuries. Now, we see election and human responsibility as opposed to one another. Spurgeon said of them that you don't need to reconcile friends. And in God, they're friends. They're not opposed to one another. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Deuteronomy 29, 29. So what should you do? Well, you should be sure of your own election. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Don't worry about who and who isn't elect. That's none of our business. Someone once said to Jesus in Luke 13, He said, uh, Lord, are there few who are saved? Short answer, Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter it and will not be able. What should be the attitude of every one of us? And even if you are a person who has not, not professed faith in Jesus this morning and you don't believe you're a Christian, but yet you know these doctrines and you know these things, and you say, what must I do? Strive to enter through the gate. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. That's what Jesus said 
to do. And, you know, um, that brings us to our next point, point number two. <clears throat> Real quickly, we'll wrap this up. Uh, in in First Thessalonians chapter 2, you know, the gospel had to go out. So let's, let's not forget that, that the gospel had to go out. And Paul and his companions and other Christians were taking it out to the world. And here's the things that we saw in chapter 2. We're going to go through it real quick, and then I'll maybe recap it next week. Number one is this, suffering. What did it take to get the gospel out? It took suffering. In chapter 2, verse 2, we are bold in our we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Remember, they had just left Philippi when they went got to Thessalonica. They had been beaten with rods in Philippi and thrown into prison. And that's where they were singing. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, an earthquake came and opened up. Uh, the The doors were opened, and the Philippian jailer was saved. But Paul and them were they were spitefully treated there beaten for no reason so it came to the thessalonians in suffering but it also got out through speaking speak to you the gospel of god in verse 4 even so we speak not as pleasing men but god and then we see in verse 9 we preached to you the gospel of God. How did the gospel get out to them? It got out to them through speaking the gospel of God. Beloved, a life well lived is not all that we should strive for. We should strive to be a people who open up our mouths and speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world who need to hear it. Count Zinzendorf said, who's the founder of the Moravians, if you've never read anything on him, I encourage you to do so. But he said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Just like that. All right, let's go to our next little point. Verses 7 through 9. What did it take to get the gospel out? It took motherly love. You might say, well, that's really weird. Why would you put that as a sub point right here? Well, you know, they had spoken the word through with conviction. They didn't, they weren't wavering. Well, maybe maybe that's the best way. Well, maybe you're a pretty good person. No, they spoke with conviction. In chapter 1 verse 5, they spoke honestly. They they were they were stewards of what they were entrusted with in the gospel. They spoke the good news. They had good news to share. They were sincere. They weren't pleasing men. But they had motherly love in verses 7 through 9. It showed gentleness, a cherishing and longing for. It also showed a laboring constantly for them. And then last is this, a fatherly expectation. In verses 10 through 12. Don't worry, Juniper, I'm about done, all right? It's going to be fine. Seriously, I'm almost done. I got it. I hear you, okay? I know there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. So <laughs> we're done, okay? Fatherly expectation. And this this was seen 
And we'll pick up with that next week, okay? But it's seen by a sanctified, a sanctified life and firm leadership. So we'll jump back in that next week. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for our assembly today and for this time in your word. It's good to be in your word. And uh, Father, I thank you for the like-mindedness among uh, this fellowship. I pray that it will be preserved. And Lord, that we will work hard to maintain it. Lord, not just one mind, but also one spirit. As we really are striving together for the faith of the gospel. And Lord, we can strive together for that faith because we know that you're going to save your elect. And Lord, we don't want to be haughty about anything, anything at all in this. But Father, we just thank you for your word and we, we believe it, though we don't understand everything about it. We believe it. And it is our prayer that you'd be glorified through this church, through each one of our lives. Please help us, Lord, to live for you daily. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.